Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. This show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we have a special guest calling in a little later on in the show. He is attorney Arthur J. Lasalento. He is a CPS defense attorney. He has a lot of experience. And at one time in his career, I think he was a county council representing social workers. That was many, many years ago. Today we're going to hear from him about his strategy, his experience, and his knowledge. Uh, Art and I... Uh, have done many cases together, uh, sometimes against each other, sometimes uh, with each other. Uh, We're currently in a trial uh, that's lasting several days out in San Bernardino County. Uh, So you'll hear from Art later on today. Uh, Before I start taking calls, I wanted to do just one thing, and I wanted to tell people about their six-month hearing. If the child was detained from you and placed out of your care at the disposition hearing, every six months you'll have a hearing called the six-month review hearing. Uh, It's covered by Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 366.21. And the operative site that you should look at for for today's conversation is uh, 21E and 21F. That's the 6 and 12 months. Reviews. Now, I met with someone today, excuse me, this week, and we talked about her six-month review coming up. She currently is represented by a court-appointed attorney, and she's telling me that she has done everything that she's supposed to do, and she's actually showed me her certificates and letters and, you know, everything that shows she's completed uh, what she was supposed to do. Now, She's also informed me that the social worker has published a report or filed a report that says that she should not get her children back and that the case and that her reunification services should be terminated and the case set for a 366.26 hearing where her parental rights could be terminated. So I suggested to her a plan of attack which she is going to try to implement with her attorney. Number one, she's going to make a list of all the witnesses she needs uh, to help prove her case that she's done everything. And she's going to do this with her attorney, but it will be all of the people where she has taken classes or counseling from. So in her case, it's going to be the substance abuse counselor. It's going to be the parenting instructor. It's going to be the domestic violence counselor. And it's also going to be her individual counselor. Although that wasn't required, she did get into individual counseling. 
uh, to address what is known as the case issues. She also will be subpoenaing all of her drug tests from Pacific Toxicology, known here in Los Angeles as PACTOX, and to show that she has tested clean. Uh, interestingly enough, um, according to her, I didn't see the report, a social worker has written that she has not completed her court-ordered services. And she tells me that she, the social worker is being biased against her for some personal reasons. Apparently, um, these two people are connected outside of the courthouse, um, which I was telling her, if there was any type of connection and they knew each other, the person shouldn't be the social worker on the case. Anyway, she's going to sit down and try to talk to her uh, attorney this week, and these are steps that I suggest that all of you take. And by the way, to make witnesses come to court or to require them to come to court, you're going to have to subpoena those witnesses. So I made sure that she knew that, and I showed her a blank subpoena, and she's going to talk to her attorney about it. And I also told her she probably needed to subpoena the social worker to come in and be cross-examined about her report. Now, the test under 366.21 is the child must be returned to the parent at the six-month review date unless the social worker can show by a preponderance of evidence that the parent is still a risk to the child. Now, risk sometimes is a very low standard, but the parent has the ability to bring in witnesses to produce evidence, including documents, to show that the social worker is incorrect. There was another issue in the case that I also told her about. Her children are placed in foster care, and I asked her to make a list of 25 names of relatives and close family friends that could, could not would, that could take care of the children um, instead of a foster parent. Because if a foster parent continues to take care of the child, there is a possibility that um, those children can be adopted out and she and her family will lose custody and relationships with the child. I'm going to take our first telephone call this morning. It's from area code 424, ending in 92. Good morning. Hello? You're on with Attorney Jim Davis. Good morning. Good morning. Did you have How a question to ask? I'm doing fine. Uh, yes. Do you have a story or a question to ask? Yes, I did. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Um, my name is Lisa Marie Cook. And yeah, um, the day before yesterday, I had went to trial for my kids. And I did everything that they needed me to do. I completed my classes. I faxed over the certificates that they needed for domestic violence, drug abuse, uh, peer group, and um, um, what, what is it? It's uh, parenting, all that. And they terminated after I was released from being incarcerated. They terminated my supervised visitation rights with, you know, not even giving me a chance to even get visitation with my kids. And my uh, my mom was able to see my kids at one point and visit them, and then they stopped her completely from 
season because of her past. And when I went to court this past Thursday, um, my 12-year-old daughter got on the stand and they asked her some questions about how she felt about her baby sister, who was five years old, being adopted out. And she was trying to explain to the judge that the first foster parents that she had got with were abusing them, so they immediately took them out of that home and placed them somewhere else. And they didn't terminate my rights for my kids for anything that I did. The excuse was, in court, was that the reason why they took my children was because my I hadn't seen my kids in two years. That was not my fault. They terminated my supervised visitation with them. How am I going to be able to see them if you guys terminated it, not even giving me a chance to see my children? And it it it, it broke me down in court because my daughter had a breakdown. She wanted to come home. My son wanted to come home. My baby girl wanted to come home. But these people are saying that I'm not fit to be my kid's mother, but I've never did anything to my kids to make my kids feel uncomfortable or unwanted or unloved at home. I was there for my kids from day one, and all parents, I feel, all parents are not perfect. We, you know, parents mess up, but we can also jump back on bad white when we need to to correct those mistakes that we make. And I feel like I was never even given that chance. And I feel like every time I went to court, my attorney never let me speak. He never let me open my mouth. I wasn't even allowed to really say anything. And telling me that if I did speak in court, it's not going to help me. You know, just kind of, you know, keeping me hidden back in the limelight without even asking me, how do I feel about this or what's going on with this? They just automatically assume that, just because you messed up once or you're just not a perfect parent. That's not that's not true. And I feel like I was unfairly tried, tried at court, and I feel like they took my daughter for no real reason that they had to take her. And now my daughter is growing up calling someone else mom and dad. How do they expect the kids to get to know the parents if you're not even giving the parents the chance to bond back with that child and get everything correct if you can't, if you're not even allowing that and you just strip them from that right. To me, I felt like that is unfair and that was just not right to me. And I'm trying what to figure out... you located? In California. And what county is your case in? In San Bernardino County. Okay. So you're uh, within my geographic area, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to make an appointment to come see me and um, see if you can bring your last three or four minute orders and your last two or three social worker reports. If you don't have uh, them, they, they, you should. Yeah, they never gave me any of that. They never gave me any of the papers, any of nothing. Okay. They didn't give me not a so foot to stand to on. Okay, so what what I want you to do is I want you to go to court over there on Gilbert Street. I want you to go to the clerk's office with your California ID or driver's license, and I want you to okay. ask for copies of them. Okay, if they give you a problem, okay, you should call me 
while you're there. Okay. And tell me what they're saying, you know, because sometimes if you use my name, you know, um, they'll give you the documents. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, um, I went to the post okay. office and they, won't, and they won't give me copies of my minute orders or social worker reports. And, uh, okay, so what, to. you say get copies of what? The last three court minute orders. Last three and, court and the last minute orders. Okay. And the last two or three social worker reports. Last two social worker reports. Okay. Yes. And once you get those copies, they'll be free. They won't charge you. Um, I want you to call my office and make an appointment to come see me for a free consultation. I'll review the paperwork, and I'll tell you what I think you should do, and then you can talk to your court-appointed attorney about what I tell you. If you have a pen okay. and piece of paper, I'll give you the office telephone number to call. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, it's 888-888-8888. Six five eight two. Yes, ma'am. Mhm. Okay. Mhm. And mention Mr. Davis. Yes. Just tell my secretary that you called Mr. Davis. Uh, excuse me. That you called Mr. Davis's radio show, and he told you to make an appointment, and they'll go ahead and make an appointment for you. Okay. 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 Uh huh. Very good. I look forward to meeting with you. Uh, and if you have okay. any other questions, you know, yes. I have some I have some videos on YouTube that you can look at. Okay. Just go to my YouTube channel. And okay. just, or just give me a call. Okay? Okay, what's what is it on YouTube? Oh, it's my YouTube channel, Attorney Vincent W. Davis. Just go to YouTube Attorney, and type in Attorney Vincent Attorney Vincent Davis? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling, and I look forward to meeting you, meeting with you and talking to you. Okay. You have a blessed day. I do appreciate everything you're trying to do to help me. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You know, it really bothers me that um, I, I get these calls all the time, even during the week. Um, people are just lost, and they don't know what's going on in their case. And this is their case about this is their case about their children. So hopefully I will be able to help that woman. All right, I'm gonna take another call right now. It's area code seven one nine ending in four eight. And by the way, we don't use names. Good morning, you're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Morning. Okay, that might be a person who just wants to listen in. We'll take another call from area code 626, ending in 68. Good, mor- good morning, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Calling in because I have a. Uh a DCFS case 
Um, this is actually my second case. My kids were um, taken back in um, 2013 from me, and I fought two years for them, did all my classes, did everything that they asked me to do. I got them back two years later, which was in 2016. Um, the reason why they took them from me then was um, my daughters were sexually abused by their father. And due to that, they blamed me, said that I should have known and I should have been aware when my girls basically protected their father the whole time. And, you know, once they finally came out, he was already out of their life. But besides that, I'm now back into a DCFS case due to um, them saying that I'm going backwards instead of forwards. I was in a relationship with somebody that had a domestic violence background and, um, was on probation, so um, there was a probation sweep before this last Christmas, and they came in with social workers while me and him were at work, and um, they came in, they searched my house. There was, I had my four kids there, which I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 9-year-old. You know, um, my mom would come into the house, you know, because I started work so early, my mom would come and check on them you know, to make sure because it was Christmas break. And, you know, they came in and, you know, without any consent from an adult, they just came in and um, basically um, they used, I was leaving my kids unattended. And, you know, I put my kids at danger because I was with someone with a domestic violence background, which there was no domestic violence in the home. There was no report showing that there was, um, for, or cop documents showing that there was any police brought into the home for domestic violence or anything of like that. This was from a prior relationship that he had. There was no domestic violence between me and him. Now, um, I had him, I, he had to leave the home, which my social worker now said that that shouldn't have been done. If we were together and there was no uh, paperwork showing that there was a domestic violence, then he should have been asked to do the domestic violence classes or leave. No, this social worker that came in basically said he had to step out of the home. He had to leave the home. I took care of that. Um, you know, now it's just my kids are in the system. You know, when they were in, there was nothing even going on in my home for them to be even taken from me. You know, there were... In school, they were, I, my, in fact, I have three that have ADHD. I made sure they were in the doctors every month, you know, um, seeing their therapist, seeing their um, psychologist, you know, doctors, constantly issues at school. It was hard for me to keep a job because I was always having to leave work to take care of my kids. You know, in fact, I lost my job due to that situation of them coming in because I had to drug screen three weeks in a row, so I had to leave work early, you know. It's, it's just so messed up that they, because of someone else, because of my past, they want to throw and say, oh, I'm, I'm in a revolving door and I'm just going backwards and being with the same type of men when they don't even know my situation or know my relationship or know me. They're just stepping in and making these assumptions. You know, and then, then I'm reading my court orders, my court docs, and they're sitting, it says, oh, that um, boyfriend would um, beat kids or a hit on my children. It's like, you know, this man was like 5'11", 280 pounds. Like, if he was to hit my kids, my kids never showed signs of neglect, of abuse, 
of they were healthy, they had a roof over their head, they had clothes on their back, I made sure that they were taken care of. You know, so there was no, I don't understand um, the safety issue that they're trying to say. They're just trying to throw my past into my future, and that was wrong. So now I'm here. I go to court August 30th, and they're basically extending my class, extending my case because I haven't fully completed. I'm still in my classes. I'm still under monitored visits. I suffer from depression and anxiety, so I don't take. Well, the problem is I don't take the prescription drugs because I don't like them. I don't like the way they make me feel. That's what they're using, and it's not. My levels are not an addictive um, levels where they're really high. My levels go up and down, up and down, up and down because of my depression and my anxiety. You know, because I use and that just helps it. It subsidizes it and it helps it. You know, and they basically are using that. You know, I have to have mental health evaluations. But you know, my marijuana. Um, they're using also the marijuana use, but my marijuana use has never shown effective for my parenting or how I raise my kids or taking care of my kids because if I was that bad, I wouldn't have a roof over my head. I wouldn't, my kids wouldn't be healthy and happy and, you know, with a healthy relationships with me. And you said your next court date is August 30th. You know what type of yes. hearing that is? That's basically to extend my case. It was it's the six it's the six month mark. Okay, is it the first six month mark after the disposition hearing? Yes, my disposition my disposition hearing was um, March third. Okay, now I'm do you sorry, have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes, I do. Okay. Did you hear at the beginning of the show what you should do at your six-month hearing? I heard some of it, yes. Okay. So let me tell you again, okay? Have you, did you say you've done all your programs and classes? I've finished, I finished my domestic violence support group. I'm currently, I'm halfway through my parenting, which I think I have four more. And then um, I'm actually doing anger management as well, which is not assigned to me. And um, I'm three months into my six-month program, drug program. Okay, are you testing clean? No, I'm not. My levels are actually up and down. Okay. Well, you're going to have to get that under control. You realize that, right? Yes. Okay. So the first thing you do is you should set a meeting with your court-appointed attorney, and you should do that via email so there is a record of it, okay? Yeah, but my, my attorney is always changing each court date. It's like I go in there, and I have a new attorney, and they're just not even fighting for me. They're just like, you know, they're, they're just like, well, this is what it is, and, you know, this is what they want. And they're like, we're just going to throw that to the side, and, and we're, we just plead um, no contest to this. Like, they're not even sitting there talking to me. They're just basically telling me what I need to do, not, you know, running running everything down to me at first. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what to do. And the first thing I told you to do was email your attorney and set up a meeting. Okay. 
Okay. The next thing that you're going to do is you're going to make a list of witnesses um, to bring to court so that you can prove to the judge that your children should be returned to you. Including in those witnesses are going to be the people who have been providing you services. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Also, you're going to also you and they need to be subpoenaed to court. So you need to talk to your attorney about how to subpoena those witnesses to court. Okay. The other thing that you you should do is you should talk to your attorney about what documents you want to introduce into evidence and how you're going to do that so that they won't be excluded. Okay? Okay. Okay. All right. Now, um, your attorney is, his or her office is in Monterey Park, right? Yes. Okay. So you need to send that email. Send it today. And if you don't get a response, you don't get a response by Tuesday. You should be calling every day to their office so that you can get an appointment with your attorney. It's very important that you meet with your attorney before August 30th. Yes. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Do you have any questions for me? Um. No, that's basically it. So, what kind of documents should I be? I mean, is this like school documents showing that I've always been involved with my children? I like what documents? Like um, doctors, stuff like that. No, the, the documents would be reports or letters or certificates from the counseling, the parenting that you've been doing, the substance okay. abuse counseling. They will also include, you know, copies of your drug tests. But I'm a little concerned about that because you said you haven't been testing clean. So you, you yeah. might not want to bring in evidence that's going to be used to hurt you. But here's another yeah. thing that I want to tell um, Why are your children placed in foster care? Aren't they relatives? No. What it is, my family is very, um, you know, I'm limited space. You know, like my mom lives with my cousin, and it's only a two-bedroom, you know, apartment. And then I have a three-bedroom house that I, you know, that I rent. And then my sister, my sister has a two-bedroom apartment with, and then she has kids herself. So it's just like there's just limited space. You know, that's just like the only issue. Okay, well, here, why don't you move out of your house, let your mother move in. She can take your children. I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Okay. Why don't you move out of your house and let your mother move in so she can get your that children? That was a suggestion. That was a suggestion, but my mom, my four kids, like I said, I have three that have ADHD. My 15-year-old, they placed my 15-year-old in these group homes, and now, you know, she's AWOL. She's been AWOL for the past almost month, Um, you know, and and I'm telling the social race, you know, and I'm asking, like, you know, she's giving to that. I don't see any signs of an abuse or anything, and she's telling me this stuff. And it's even in written there that I show signs of a healthy mother, but due to um, my not being fully done with my classes, they're not offering me anything but to continue. So it's like, you know, my they're telling me they took my kids from me because 
it's an unsafe environment, but now they have no control of my daughter AWOLing and being out in the streets. That's what's crazy. Okay, but here the important thing is to get children to relatives or close family friends. Do you have any family friends that can take care of the children? No, I don't. I it's and it depends on who they live with and and their background. So it's it's limited people. I don't have a lot of people that you know I can just turn on like, hey, can you take my kids? You know, there's you know there's there's situations there that that's their lives and their you know their private life. You know, the relatives and family friends don't have to live in Los Angeles County. They can live anywhere in the world. Well, yeah, of course, you know, but I don't, I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't have that. I don't have that ability. I don't have people that can just take my kids. I, I don't have that. You don't know 25 people in, in the entire world? I do, but I, I mean, they have their kids and they, and, you know, they have their living situations. And the way the living is now, people can't even afford to live. And they're living with family. You know, it's. Right. Well, you know, I, living in with family I and said, with family, it's not easy. I said 25 people that could take the children. I didn't say would take the children. And the important thing is you shouldn't be determining whether somebody could take the child or not. Well, I have asked. I've asked people. It's not like I haven't reached out and, and haven't asked. Did you know that they get paid to take the children? Yeah. Have you, know, you my kids that with them? Well, yeah, they know they get paid. It's, it's, it's a known fact. You know, they get paid to take the, as like an income. I would bet that I could help you, um, give you advice for you and Because all my kids are separated. That's even you know, worse. All my kids, yeah, I have two out in Lancaster. That's where I'm heading to right now. I, and then, Ma'am, you were breaking up. I think I lost her. Ma'am, I think I lost you. If you're still listening or can hear me, please call back or please call my office. I'd like to speak to you a little bit more about how um, I can give you some advice that you can you can discuss with your court-appointed attorney. So please call anytime at 888 6582 See on the line that we have our special guest, Attorney Arthur J. Lasalento. Attorney Lasalento is a very experienced CPS defense attorney. He's located in Orange County, but he does cases all over the Southern California area. Um, He does cases in San Bernardino and Riverside and Los Angeles County and Orange County. And I've even seen him, and I've actually been on cases with him in Ventura. Good morning, Art. How are you? Good morning, Mr. Davis. How are you? Doing fine. Thank you for calling in this morning as a special guest 
why don't you take a, a minute or two and tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Well, thank you for having me here, uh, Mr. Davis. Uh, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing 25 years. Uh, I'm predominantly in uh, juvenile dependency, but I do family, criminal, and I even do some federal, but I'm a trial attorney. Um, my goal is to help um, parents and families uh, with these difficult cases. Uh, you know, my goal is to um, make sure that the government, which can often um, be extremely abusive towards families in their um, search to try to protect children, my goal is to uh, leave no stone unturned, aggressively pursue all discovery, litigate the cases, and uh, help the families. Very good. You know, when I first met you many, many, many years ago, um, I think you were a county council representing social workers in juvenile court. For an extremely brief time, about four, for a very brief time, for about four months, I I was involved there in a, uh, yes, in Monterey Park, yes. And so since that time, you've been um, exclusively representing parents and relatives? I represented parents, relatives. Um, I've also represented children in 602s. I, for a while there, I was court appointed in um, representing children as well. But I've represented um, numerous parties in uh, uh, different juvenile uh, courts. Very good. If, if my audience wanted to contact you for consultation or possibly retain you, how would they go about doing that? Well, we have, um, well, number one is my office number in Fullerton. My main number is 714-526-0450. We do give a free consultation, 714-526-0450. And I also give my, um, I also have a South County number, 949-766-0589. Any email or text number they can contact you at? Yes, my email address is ALCATT72 at AOL.com. And that is on the uh, State Bar website as well. Very good. And any very text number? Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, no, I was going to say for a text number, 714-317-8688. Very good. Art, tell me about your most memorable juvenile dependency case. Well, they're all memorable. We're dealing with people's lives, and I take it very seriously. But one memorable case, because it was a very unique case when we were dealing with doctors from all over the country where a mother was being falsely accused to be a munch being falsely accused to be a munchausen mom and we had to bring in genetic scientists from Johns Hopkins uh experts on munchausens experts doctors who saw the children and Loma Linda University was trying to say the mother was um 
abusing and neglecting her children by having them have unnecessary surgeries and medical treatment. And the trial went on for a month, and uh, by the grace of God, we won that case, and the judge there did an excellent job sorting through a month's worth of medical expert testimony and dismissed the case, and uh, it was the right thing to do because no reasonable doctors um, could tell the genetic defect. There was a unique condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and a lot of doctors sometimes in their rush to find abuse, do not do all the medical treatments and research that's necessary. And I like fighting those type of cases because I've seen a lot of parents wrongfully accused for something they didn't do when the doctors have not done the right work. So those cases always interest me. Tell us what Munchausen syndrome by proxy is. Well, Munchausen by proxy is something they say is a psychological condition, usually a mother who injures intentionally a child to get sympathy by having the child go to the doctor and then people sympathize and empathize with the mother for having to deal with a sick child. And um, I think if you saw the movie um, The Sixth Sense, there was a scene in there where they show a child who's under the bed and the mother's poisoning. That's the stereotypical example. But what you see a lot of times in these juvenile cases is vindictive doctors who have made mistakes or were negligent and then try to say the mother who's upset at the care is a Munchausen mom or crazy mom or psychologically impaired, which they're not competent to do anyway. So um, there's a lot of defenses to the the Munchausen allegations. I've had to defend those numerous times. I had a case up in... um, in um, Bakersfield where the child almost died from asphyxiation from allergy to peanuts and the doc when they confronted the doctors on the proper medical care they tried to accuse her of a Munchausen mob so I've dealt with those situations and uh, so Munchausen is not even accepted psychologically by the psychological association the DSM-5 so the doctors will use that term around to sometimes wrongfully accuse a parent. So did you say that it, it is listed in the DSM-5? No, I said it's not. It's, oh, it's okay. not. It has been listed in the in the uh, DSM in prior years, hasn't it? No, they have a different name for it. It's um, they, they try to say fictitious disorder. I, they'll try to say that as as something that's like a Munchausen by proxy, but Munchausen by proxy itself is not listed. And they'll try to say some kind of fictitious disorder. I, I've seen that in the DSM-4 now, sometimes in the DSM-5. In the in the case that you were just mentioning, you said the child actually had Ehlers syndrome. Tell us what that is. Okay, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a very unique condition, and very few people have it. It's the collagen which holds your bones and everything together, there's a disease there and it's it's deficient. And they have to have certain kinds of, um, they also have certain kinds of, their joints are dope. There's various factors. I'm not going to get into all of them now. But the collagen, the, the, the which keeps the bones together, there's a, it's the genetic disorder that has to be treated a certain way, sometimes even with surgery. I see. I see. Art, 
currently you and I are involved in an ongoing trial in San Bernardino County. We won't use names, but tell us a little, little bit about that case. Well, this is a, this is why I like the medical cases, and I won't talk specifically about names, confidentiality. I won't violate that, but I will let you know it's a case that is troubling in some ways because the medical professionals involved, I won't name what, it, what hospital it is, I believe has made wrongful diagnosis and also um, is unfairly treating the parents as perpetrators of abuse who are very nice and good people. And as you know, Mr. Davis, um, there's issues about the uh, medical agency and doctors as far as their competency and uh, the way they diagnose the case. And how do you feel the case is going up to this point? Well, I don't. I don't try to handicap cases. My goal is to help these families and uh, have the truth come out. Where I don't think our our clients did anything wrong or factually innocent. It's, it's, it's my goal, and I know it's your goal to um, try to get them their child back as soon as possible. Art. I, earlier in the show, I was talking to the listeners about the six-month review hearings pursuant to 366.21 E and F. When you get a case that's uh, coming up for a six-month review and the worker is recommending, you know, to terminate FR or to not return the child, what secret strategies do you use in preparing those types of cases? Well, number one, I try to get all the discovery to make sure the parents got proper services because that's big where – if we're trying to get six more months, let's say, at a six-month review, it's critical I go through all the referrals, all the contacts with the parents, whether you're treated fairly and properly, whether they did everything pursuant to the case plan. So, number one, I want to put the burden on the agency, which is their burden any, agency anyways, to make sure they treated the parents fairly and complied with the law by giving them reasonable services. Number two, I like to talk to the parents and coach them, it's critical because failure to comply with court-ordered programs shows there's still a danger or substantial risk to the ch to child or children. So it's critical to have proof that the parents have done all the court-ordered programs at that point and they've made substantial progress because the law mandates that they have not done their programs and if if they haven't done what they're supposed to do, um, and there's still a substantial risk of danger, then it's on the parents have to show a substantial probability return in the next six months, child's under three. So it's critical we show that the parents are in the programs, they've had the proper referrals, and they're making substantial progress so we can fight any recommendation to go to a 2-6 or which could lead into termination of parental rights. So it's critical we show that. Very good. When a parent's family reunification services are terminated uh, and a writ, an appellate writ uh, needs to be filed, do you also do that type of appellate work? I've done so many, I can't even count. I do it all the time. And it's critical a lot of times, too, because I've had numerous cases reversed at a six-month review or 12-month or even 18-month review where they're just rushing 
case to adoption. And the law says should not be on the conveyor belt to termination of their parental rights. So it's very important every trial attorney be able to do that. It's critical. You know, I tell you, I'll tell you guys a quick Art Lafalental story. Um, I was doing a trial with Art in, I think it was Orange County, and Art had the mom and I had the dad. And during the case, Art had to file a writ against the trial court, and we were right in the middle of trial. And uh, it took many, many weeks for the Court of Appeals to make it the decision. And they made the decision. They ruled in Art's favor and in his client's favor, which helped the case significantly. Then we came back, and the trial judge made another order, which was, um, you know, which we didn't feel was legal against Art and his client. Art filed another writ, and the court took several weeks to uh, make that decision, and Art won again. Now, I want to tell the people out in the audience, that's a very rare thing, first of all, for a person to win on a writ. But Art won two writs in the same case in the span of, I think, three or four months. So that was incredible. Uh, that was a great job that you did. And it helped us win the case. We eventually won that trial um, because of Art's victories and the amount of time that it took. So Art is an expert in these appellate writs and on filing these appeals. He, he does do writs quite often on cases. And uh, he's been successful, probably the most successful that I've seen in a long time, these writs. Art, are you involved at all in uh, cases against social workers for civil rights violations over in state or federal court? What I, I, the way I'm involved in is if I see a case where I see abuse of their civil rights, I refer them to uh, counsel who, um, someone like yourself or, you know, other other attorneys that are um, very um, skilled and uh, have ex extensive experience. I know you have extensive experience and other attorneys as well. So what I'll do is I do, I, yes, I can do them, but usually I'm so busy with the juvenile cases, prefer to refer them to other counts, someone like yourself. All right. Well, thank you. I thank you for that plug, but Art uh, refers a lot of his cases to an attorney in San Diego who is one of the gurus in this area, a gentleman by the name of Sean McMillan. And if you wanted to get in touch with him, you can just Google his name. Uh, and he will come up and you will get his contact information. He and Art are, uh, have been working together for many years, and uh, Sean is quite qualified. He's one of the best in this area. I'm suing and Sean, Sean McMillan is just a great attorney. He's got a great track record of getting very big awards against the county for their abuses in Orange and L.A. County, and, and Sean has done an excellent job. McMillan, he's He's um, an excellent attorney. So, and Vince is an excellent attorney as well. Well, thank you, thank you. But um, I, I look up to Sean. He's one of the hardest working lawyers that I've ever met, other than yourself. But he's he's very good at what he does. If you want to sue social workers, my office also does that type of work. 
um, and we're located here in Los Angeles. Art, I want to ask you something. Um, you know, and I and I know that you know this. Uh, there are a lot of county council, a lot of social workers who don't appreciate the Art Lasso style. Tell us a little bit about that and how it affects or doesn't affect what you do on cases. Well, I'm a very religious person, and um, all what I do when a case, all glory goes to God, because what I believe in is first seeking to do the right thing under my religious beliefs. And sometimes when I encounter what I like to consider bureaucrats or people that don't care about the family or the parents or or just going through the motions or they ignore evidence, I can sometimes not be a diplomat to say the list. My style is very aggressive and I will talk to an attorney face to face and say to them, how can you ethically or unethically do something? So my style is not always the most diplomatic. Mr. Davis is a gentleman at all times. Mr. Davis keeps his cool. Sometimes my style is, I'm sorry, my style is very aggressive where I will challenge, or even a minor's attorney, basically to do their job and most importantly do the right thing. And that's when I can get upset where um, there's people in the system that are hurting parents and hurting families. They're hiding evidence or they're doing the wrong thing, and uh, I just don't have a high tolerance for that. Why do you think some people in the system um, are not honest about these types of cases? It's about winning. Okay, You get these young attorneys sometimes, or even seasoned attorneys, they want to win. And it should not be win at all costs. Juvenile court is supposed to be a collaborative effort. It's not. It's supposed to be able to be resolved for the best interest of the child and the family. And some county councils or whoever, it's about winning. It's about it's about winning, and it's not about always doing the right thing. So, thank God that there are attorneys like Vince and hopefully myself where we will not let them get away with. It. And that's 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 our goal because you'll see parents. It's the worst thing that could happen to a parent is someone's about to lose their child because a, a county counselor or social worker is hiding evidence, lying, doing something illegal, and uh, it's just not tolerable or lazy, too. Is this something that you encounter frequently or is it something that you encounter rarely? More than I should. It's, it's not a, The problem is the system. The system can sometimes be overburdened. Parents don't get a fair shake. They wait around all day to go to court. They get a one minute. See you next time. Um, social workers are overloaded. Courts can be overloaded with financial cutbacks. Um, and that's only if they're overloaded. Sometimes we just have people that are malicious and they don't like the parents or the parent has offended them in their minds and they're going to be vindictive. So, it's critical when you represent parents to do an investigation into any bias the social workers have because social workers are supposed to be objective and neutral fact finders, and that's, to me, one of the biggest fictions in the law. If there was one thing that you could change about 
the juvenile dependency process, what would it be? I think from holding social workers accountable for when they uh, misrepresent facts on parents in juvenile court, when they, you know, lie or hide evidence or that, there should be some kind of sanction. Their report should not be able to come in because there's case law that says the reports come in. And often these one-sided reports that come in, it's one of the unique areas of the law where all this hearsay comes in. And then it's our job as parents' attorneys to show that what they're reporting is untrue, inaccurate, or, or false. So um, it's critical. I think the system gives a social worker such an advantage um, that it, it needs to be fair for the parents because nothing's more important other than God, your parental rights, and, and your family. And um, it shouldn't be unfair that way. I would agree with you. Holding them accountable is a good first step. You know, it's one of the things that I would change about the system. I would give the parents the right to have a jury trial. And I know in some states, few states, that uh, parents have the right to have, you know, the right to a some types of modified jury trial. Um, what do you think of that idea? I think it's a great idea. And what, what happens is I have a case right now. I have a client now. I've represented, <laughs> I've represented him for 11 years. I've gotten two petitions dismissed in San Bernardino Juvenile Court for false sex abuse allegations by an ex. And not to mention criminal investigations. My client's done lie detector tests, evaluations. The child was actually taken away from the mother and provided back to the father because the mother lied and coached the child because she was actually found to have um, a mental condition where she coached the child and she keeps making false allegations, and that was done by a psychiatrist in Orange County. Now the mother moved to Michigan, found a new place after 11 years of litigation, has made the same false allegations, but in Michigan he has a right to a jury trial. Not, I would love I would love to have a jury trial, and I think judges sometimes can be biased. Some of them are conservative, so even if it's a close call, they will not go on the side of the parent. I would love to have a jury trial. I've said that numerous times coming out of court. Do you think jurors would be sympathetic to the parents or to the social worker? I think it's a factual basis. It depends how the evidence comes out. I think generally, when you don't know the system and you first get in the system, you're protective. You know, unfortunately, the general police and social workers are charged with trying to protect the child. But the one thing that I think Mr. Davis can definitely comment on, the longer you're in the system, the more you realize you're dealing with people. And social workers, like people, have faults. And they have biases, and they have that. So with a jury, I think it would help a parent because sometimes you have a judge who's tired, has a lot of cases, doesn't listen to all the evidence, and a jury might come in a little more interested, and it would help, I think. You know, one of the main uh, reasons that is argued in California 
why we don't have jury trials is because of the expense. What do you think about that argument? I mean, unfortunately, with California, expense is always important to the state, but you can have a, it's sad, you can have a jury trial for a uh, unlawful detainer, whether you should be living in a house or renting or not, but you can't have a jury trial on the most, one of the most important things in your life other than your freedom, your family. So um, in Michigan, they don't do 12 jurors, they do six. So expense is important to the state but it's more important to get to the right result, in, in my opinion. I would agree. You know, I, I, I never thought about that, but in some unlawful detainer cases, you are entitled to a jury trial, but not in juvenile dependency. What I usually tell people is, you know, you're entitled to a jury trial in a criminal case, but most people, you know, they think that uh, their children is more impo- are more important than going to jail. So if we're going to give them a a jury trial for criminal court, we should at least offer them the right to have a jury trial in juvenile dependency court where they may lose their children. I I agree with you. I mean, thank you. Art, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show today. We will be inviting you back in the future. And, again, give people your uh, contact information so that they can contact you if they want to speak to you. Uh, thank you. My my phone number is seven one four five two six zero four five zero, or my South County office nine four nine seven six six zero five eight nine. Okay, and even though Art is located in Orange County, as I said at the top of the show, he does cases all over Southern California. Uh, I see Art in Los Angeles. I and Bernardino, I see him in Riverside, uh, Ventura, Orange County. So he goes all the same places that we go. So please give him a call. I highly recommend him as a CPS defense attorney. Thank you, Art, for calling in. Thank you for having me, Vince. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we just have about a minute left in the show. Um, next week I'm going to talk a little bit more a little bit more about the uh, juvenile dependency cases and the six-month review. And we're also going to get in and talk about the, the what they call the 366.26 hearing. That's the hearing that they actually try to uh, terminate your parental rights. And it's an important hearing that we should talk about. And weeks in the future, I'm going to be having other special guests, other attorneys, who are going to come in and share their experiences with us. Um, There are a handful of very good attorneys who do this uh, statewide and who do this uh, particularly in Southern California. If you want to talk to me, you can give me a call at my office, 888-888-6582, or you can contact me via email, v.davis at vincentwdavis.com. You can also text me at 310-308-7758. Thank you, and we'll see you next week on the radio.